If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson. I'm a reporter at Mansion Global. Today with me are Brad Hintz, Executive Vice President of Global Marketing at Crestron, India Strouten, a freelance reporter for Mansion Global, and JC Murphy, President of Savant. And we're here to talk about AI in the home. So that's smart home technology, concerns about privacy, and the different ways that artificial intelligence is changing our everyday tasks. So I wanted to start off just to talk about what we're talking about when we talk about AI, getting an introduction to what that is and how you define a smart home as opposed to a home with a series of non-networked tech devices. So Brad, why don't we start with you? Can you just give us sort of an overview of what a smart home actually is? Yeah, in, uh, in our view, a smart home is one where all of the different systems within your home are integrated and working together. Uh, and we view it uh, more as bringing that infrastructure in your home, making it all work well for the betterment of the family, meaning it has to work for everybody uh, within the, the family so that they can enjoy more, they can relax more, and, and now increasingly get more work done as well in such an important uh, place. And so obviously Savant and Crestron make technology that allows that to happen. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how you do that. JC, why don't I um, start with you on that? Yeah, I think, you know, the term smart host has been used for quite some time. And I think that we're all um, uh, enjoying the, the whole idea of the smart home ecosystem. So things that can be smart has changed uh, dramatically over the last 5, 10, 15 years. So there's, you're, there's been a, an explosion of device types that all of a sudden can get brought into a smart home ecosystem. And Savant and, and Crestron have been out in the market, you know, um, um, adding to our platforms and partnering with third party platforms to support that broader ecosystem um, that is now a very big term of smart home. Gotcha. So what are some of the things that Crestron and Savant provide for homeowners. And I'm looking for specific examples, you know, about controlling the thermostat and the light and those kinds of things. Brad, why don't we start with you on that? Uh, yeah. So uh, one of the things, you know, as JC mentioned that, you know, we as uh, smart home manufacturers create is, you know, bringing all these systems together. So that includes smart lighting um, and whether that's at the light switch level or through the whole home. Um, of course, your climate control, uh, which is your thermostat, but also your shading, 
right? Which is uh, your window shading, uh, automating that. You can use that for light harvesting and, and other factors as well. Um, but also one uh, important area is entertainment, right? How can I easily listen to music throughout the home? Um, how can I control um, all of the video that I want to, to watch on one screen or all the screens throughout the home, you know, do so simply with a, a remote. Um, but also down to security systems, uh, video security, um, also exterior outside of the home, gate control. When you get home, you want your gate to open uh, for you um, uh, and access to the home. If you have um, uh, service providers coming into your home, you want to give them the ability to come in and then remove that access easily, uh, but also down to things like pool and, and spa control, um, exterior lighting control. All of these things are elements of what we can do uh, for homeowners looking for uh, looking to create a smart home. Gotcha. Can you see, would you add anything to that? Yeah, no, and, and I think Brad covered uh, uh, a lot of the, I would say, traditional categories that people are looking at for smart home management. And what we're seeing, um, you know, the approach we took is really uh, software centric, right? Um, it's uh, because there's been such an explosion in IoT devices, we really spent a lot of effort around the software connectivity and the, and the, the stability across those platforms all presented through a um, a user interface that is hopefully understandable and uh, easy to use for the user itself. But the other kind of key things that are that are um, uh, moving into the smart home ecosystem um, that we're zeroed in on right now is we're doing a lot of work on the appliance front, right? Um, just like I said, devices in your home we've seen become a part. There's a whole slew of smart appliances that are coming into the smart home ecosystem. So we're spending a lot of time there. And also um, we are zeroed in on a networking offer because the smart home is uh, really reliant in a lot of cases around the network that is in the home and then that connection of that network to outside the home. If you wanna to listen to streaming music as an example, you've gotta have a great source coming in and you've gotta be able to disseminate that music content throughout the home. So networking we view as a, as a big, uh, larger and larger component of that that important smart home um, uh, element, and then the final one, it all starts with a power plan for the home, right? And that is brand new to thinking about smart home from a power perspective. Because if you don't have reliable, sustainable power in the home and the ability to monitor and manage that, um, you know, electricity is like the air we breathe. People just go into their homes and their buildings and they turn it on and they expect it to be there. But if I don't have great sustainable power and the ability to manage that power in the home, the rest of the stuff in the smart home really doesn't matter, right? I need a power source. And as we are seeing uh, the explosion of all types of things happening with the, the power grid, with renewables, um, with regulation, with EV charging and EV cars, you know, power, power, power is really becoming the foundation of where we think the smart home is going. Interesting, interesting. So, um, Mansion Global, of course, writes mostly about luxury homes, and there's a sort of a baseline that I think there is expected at a luxury home for technology and smart home tech. And the, this conversation um, is sort of based on a story that India wrote for Mansion Global about um, smart tech in the home. And, and India, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what sort of things are standard and what maybe is a little, uh, isn't for everyone. 
Yeah, so one of the things I was looking at in this story specifically was uh, resale properties. So I think um, when you're, build, you're buying a new, a brand new home in a new development or newly built, um, perhaps those systems are in place and you can program them exactly as you want and it makes things run very smoothly and you, know, you can set it to your family's needs. Um, if you're a homeowner who is thinking of upgrading your property with a view to adding value when you sell it down the line, it's a little bit more complicated because some kinds of smart home tech are really going to be appealing to almost every buyer. But there are other things that perhaps might put off some buyers or might make people hesitate a little bit. Um, so I think some of the things that the brokers I spoke with mentioned that are kind of universally appealing to most buyers are the baseline that JC mentioned of having a really good network because you can't run anything, any sort of you know tech you want to bring in um, from your old home or anything you want to buy and install. Um, you really need that internet connectivity throughout the house and it needs to be strong and reliable. Um, so mesh technology, if you want to invest in making sure that you have a very strong network throughout the home, I think that's always gonna be a good investment um, and it's not going to be off-putting for any buyer. Um, other things that you know I think everybody finds appealing are particularly um, some of the things Brad mentioned to do with lighting and climate control that can actually save money and you know if you have an adjustable thermostat that kind of anticipates your needs you have lighting that adjusts to your family's needs um, things like being able to pre-program your oven to turn on when you're driving home or to open your gate um, you know remotely um, but then there are some things that might be a little bit more of a gamble. So um, for example, I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about this, but there are some security concerns, I think in some cases, um, particularly around camera systems, um, things that some buyers might worry would allow access to their home in a way that they don't want if they're, you know, some things might potentially be hackable or, um, so I think that can raise concerns among some buyers. Um, and other things that brokers mentioned to avoid are kind of sort of trendy things that might be useful for a specific homeowner, like perhaps, um, you know, an automated pet feeder or, um, you know, a, a pre-programmed wine seller or, you know, things that are quite personal that might actually alienate future buyers to some extent. Um, and likewise, one of the things that they warned against um, was really major overhauls of a property that affect, say, the plumbing or like very essential infrastructure that a future buyer might think, well, if I want to change this or upgrade this, or if the technology becomes obsolete, then how much is it going to cost me to then sort of, you know, do what's needed to, to move that to the next level? Um, Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, you bring up the privacy point, which, of course, is a huge issue with AI and technology across the board. How are um, you all dealing with those issues and, and what should homeowners and tech owners know about? JC, why don't we start with you on that? Yeah, I, I, we um, and I, I think this is a, a super important uh, point to digest where you have um, uh, specific requirements out there that you in, in custom luxury, um, especially with that clientele, that that nothing can be listening in the home not even by design that they don't want it, you know, maybe they're in jobs that really don't allow that to happen, right? You're a CXO at a publicly traded company, you know, you may have an IT policy that's pushed down to all the employees that you can't have that type of um, constant listening and interaction vis-a-vis uh, -vis the cloud for certain services to, to interact. So we're, we're very conscious 
cognizant of that. And we try to deploy technologies that allow you to do both, meaning the help, the, you know, with the home operating basically in a, in a, um, a sustained smart home mode without a connection to the cloud. Okay. So it's very local, right. And then also for um, um, a cloud connection, I think one thing that is um, very uh, tough to deliver without a dedicated music source is the explosion in streaming services. Okay, so everyone's like, oh, gosh, you know, I want to be my home lockdown. I want to make sure. <clears throat> and then we say, well, how are you going to get Netflix? <laughs> you know, how are you going to listen to Spotify? You know, when your grandkids come over, your kids come over. So there's, there's a practical side of that cloud connections that's needed for entertainment, for sure. Right. And I put video content and, um, and um, music services in that category. But there are technologies that Crestron and Savant work with that allow you to provide that in the home, very locked down. There's a, there's a technology both of our companies use on, on mega yachts right now that basically is a self-contained server. And it's got all your music and your video content. And it doesn't have to go up to the cloud to get that information. Right. So there's technologies you can use if you want a self-contained entertainment experience. Um, uh, and that was like, really bright. That was really done out of necessity because it was so expensive when you were out at sea mm -hmm. to have a satellite connection to pull down yeah. streaming video. Right. I mean, that's been used for quite some time in, in the, the yachting industry that we apply to residential yeah. as well. That's well, if I can if I can add to that. Yeah, if I can add to that, if you don't mind, uh, Leslie, um, I think that uh, with regard to security and privacy, there are two distinct issues, right? How do you protect yourself? And then how do you manage the data that you that you generate? Um, you know, from a, a smart home perspective, you know, we have approached it from a security first design uh, perspective, and you need to make sure that, you know, you're building technologies that are are secure. You also need to ensure the default configuration is one that is by default secure because I think many of the many of the horror stories that we've heard out in the market today are consumer first products which have the security things open mm -hmm. wide open you, you you've heard of the webcam that somebody was dialing in and suddenly everybody can log in and see a baby sleeping right because yeah. that homeowner's home was left unsecure so by baking in some of these security configurations by default to our, our products um, Savant does this as, as well um, but then the other thing that's really important is working with a professional to install and configure your smart home is a really great way to ensure that you have this technology installed properly. It's it's secure already. And so you can live with that with that that confidence And both Savant and Crestron. We, you know, we work very heavily with a network of uh, smart home professionals that make sure that you that help ensure that you are secure as well. One, one other thing I think that's, that's relevant is, um, you know, information is power. So, um, you know, we're certainly making sure that the end user, the client has visibility into the system, both from a UI perspective, how do I interact with it, <clears throat> but also what's happening. And as, and we're giving the, the end user permissions to turn things on and off, even through the, through the, uh, with the installer channel itself. So, so can, you know, first of all, information in terms of what's happening on their network, and we'll talk about that in a little bit relative to AI, but also information that they can, they're empowered to basically um, only give access to the home for four hours on a Tuesday for work to be done on that smart system. And then it's completely shut off, right? And that's, that's a, 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 you know, a benefit that, that we think is important to, again, enhance the security of that system.
Great. Um, I want to remind our participants, our audience, that they can log in and ask questions. And one person, Hal, has asked a question, a follow-up question to something you mentioned, India, which is, what is the mesh technology or the mesh network? Um, Brad, maybe you can just give us a quick definition of that. Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, a mesh network, as it relates to your wireless network, is you have a number of access points and they're all working together to have a, a, a strong network connection. Um, it, previous technologies, you know, you had to make sure you had a direct connection from each access point back to the full network. With mesh technologies, you can have a, a base hub essentially, and then other satellites that talk together um, and then ensure that you have a strong network across the, the home. And there are strengths and, and there are benefits and, and uh, weaknesses to each of those models, but this, this is an example of technology advancing um, to, to really help ensure you have a good network within the, the home. Great. Thank and you so much. If I can yes, add to that, I believe that that also can be quite useful if you want to have, as you mentioned earlier, connectivity inside and outside, right? So if you want to have a smart mm -hmm. barbecue and you want to be able to control that from within your home, that gives you the flexibility to really have like a fully connected mm -hmm. system. Um, yeah, well, one of the one of the challenges uh, within a smart home is, of course, the the building materials um, of the home. You know, if it's a renovation, you are limited in terms of the wires that you can pull, and so uh, mesh technology enables you to get that coverage without needing to do long cable poles, right? Or you know, if it's a historical building and you don't want to drill into the wall, perhaps you want to add the, a piece of technology to an outlet rather than installing it into the ceiling. You know, this gives you that flexibility so that you have connectivity in uh, many different places. Um, and, and so it, it's great. It's a great advancement. Interesting. Thank you. Um, we also had a question from Ed about the cost of creating a sustainable or excuse me, a, a smart home. And of course, that's going to vary um, between, you know, depending on what kind of things that you've installed in your smart home. But JC, can you give us a range of where, how much basically a, a smart home would cost someone to set up? Yeah, it, and again, it just comes down to, like you were saying, the device types and the amount of, of control and automation that, that you want. But we, we really think that you can start with, you know, um, installed smart home capability, um, you know, basically in the $5,000 range installed solution, professionally installed solution for basic capability in a single room and scale up to literally millions of dollars, but depending on the size of the home and the technologies that get pulled in. One thing that always fascinates me is a simple thing like a audio selection in a speaker, right? <clears throat> that I've seen speakers that go into homes that are, you know, literally um, 40 or $50. And I've seen some that people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on. And it's like my wine tasting experience. You know, sometimes you, I go, boy, I, guys, I can't really tell the difference between that $500,000 audio setup and that, you know, $100 audio setup, but I should. But, you know, again, that's where you get the variability in a lot of the pricing. But really, you know, I think a good a budget target for the types of stuff that is out there for a professionally installed solution is, you know, starting between four and $5,000 installed for some basic capability and then growing from there. Um, as, as you may or not be aware of, you know, we've got a 
offering that is more in the do-it-yourself side of things that is less expensive, but for the professionally installed solution, um, you know, that's kind of how we think about it. Gotcha. And something else that India touched on when she was speaking was the concern that technology, this kind of technology will become obsolete. Obviously, there are so many changes. The AI world is changing so quickly. You don't want to install something and then find out six months later there's a fully new addition and yours is out of date. So, Brad, how do people think about that and how do you all, you know, work toward keeping things updated as opposed to having to change systems? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a it's certainly an important consideration, right? But I think in our homes today, we all have technology in various forms. Um, but I, I think it's important to look at technology to say, was this designed with the idea of being infrastructure? Or was this designed to be a, a novel gadget that I sit on the counter um, and I look at and use and, and that might be fun, right? The novel gadget might uh, uh, become obsolete very, very quickly. But infrastructure technology, um, when it's built properly, you're looking towards that long-term uh, point of view, right? Where the software can be updated, um, the hardware runs for a very long time, right? And, and this is what, you know, we have spent a long time. Many of our customers, they run systems for 10, 15 years um, inside of their home. And, and for those core infrastructure things, lighting control, shading control, even AV control in, in many cases, um, you know, you'll use that over the, the long run. And so one is buying technology that is designed uh, to have that, that longer term uh, perspective um, where you can update it, you get new software on a, on a regular basis, but that it was, is designed intentionally to provide value over a longer period of time. JC, do you have anything to add there? Um, no, I think that that's really spot on. I think the, the other thing is that we see consumers at all levels of the ecosystem realizing that they are um, updating and changing out their phones and their vehicles very frequently. And why it's, you know, this is that it's not the castle that is their home. People are getting more and more used to kind of specific technology de decisions and changes but it's really making sure that the software um, updates that are happening, again, we very software-centric approach, making sure that that system um, continues to perform. But one thing that was in India's article I thought was very interesting was about the whole idea of what be what is viewed as value in a home upgrade for resale. Um, you know, there are some infrastructure items specifically around water detection and water shutoff capability that used to that that all of a sudden if that home is um, uh, for a secondary use case or even a primary use case you know that, that there's a peace of mind element to knowing that uh, I've got a leak somewhere my water system's going to shut off and that is a big value add where it wasn't I don't know 10 years ago or it was it was really hard to do that's getting um, uh, easier and easier with Wi-Fi connected to devices that can tell you that information and you can kind of do something about it, right? Right, so there's an added safety level in terms mm -hmm. of in any potential damage to your home when you're not there. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're seeing the whole, you people, if, if I said security as a category, you would think about 
like uh, alarms and um, and uh, cameras and you know door entry detection, right? Security is security. Peace of mind is now transcending the idea that AI can protect my home from water damage. There's a security element to that, and then as I mentioned earlier, power. There's a massive security element to that. That boy, if I have some problem with my grid, my home is going to stay on. It's going to be powered, right? And there's a big security emotional tie into both water and leak detection and power management in the in in the home that is more recent, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, you know, when we talk about all these changes in technologies, especially in, coming from that discussion, you know, it, it seems all really positive, but sometimes it can be just like all tech overwhelming and, you know, people want to take a step back. And I think India, you found that somewhat in, in writing this article. Could you speak a little bit to that point? Yeah, so there were two things here. Um, some of the resources mentioned, you know, a certain demographic, perhaps older buyers um, in the luxury sector who might feel slightly overwhelmed by moving into a house and realizing that they need to watch a video to learn how to operate their thermostat or they need to reset their biometric security system to accept, you know, their specifications when it's been used by a previous owner. Um, so I think those things can alienate a certain sort of yeah demographic of buyers I think beyond that even buyers who are very tech savvy who perhaps work in the tech world um, some of them feel that technology is so much a part of our daily lives and they're on their phones or their iPads or their laptops all day and they actually want to minimize the intrusion of technology into their family lives so they might not want necessarily a system that requires you know their children or their you know, the entire family to be using iPads and things just to operate the lights or to, you know, turn on the oven. Um, so obviously, I think a lot of buyers do really appreciate um, having a certain amount of smart tech in the home. But yes, I think there, there can be a tipping point where perhaps it becomes too much. Um, and particularly, as I said, in a resale home where you might not be familiar with those systems, you might not have chosen them yourself. Um, and so you have limited control over that. Right. And the phone is not the only way to operate these systems. Is that correct, Brad? There are, you do have different interfaces, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And actually, I think that that's uh, one of the important elements of, you know, the smart home that JC, uh, Savant and Crestron uh, focus on is providing a variety of interfaces that makes it easy for the whole family to use the smart home and to live within it. Um, and in fact, there's a way that you can help the technology blend into the background where you get the benefits of the technology, but I don't need to have it in my face all day. And that is one of those very interesting trends that we're seeing among homeowners um, as well. I don't wanna use my mobile phone because when I'm home, if I pick up my mobile phone, I'm going to get sucked into a work email, Mm -hmm. right? And that is not the definition of relaxing at home. But if I can instead walk into a room and actually this is how I live in in my own own home, I can walk into the kitchen and hit one button and all the lights start uh, turn on properly and the music starts. I'm using the technology, but I'm not really, it's not in my face, right? Um, or if I'm going in to watch a, a movie, um, I can hit one button and the TV turns on. It's all ready to go as I sit on the couch, right? And again, I haven't pulled my phone out of my pocket. There's not an iPad nearby, right? So having this variety of um, interfaces whether it's a keypad on the wall where your, your traditional light switch is, 
a touch screen, which gives you that great graphical interface to scroll music lists or video playlists, um, uh, voice control, um, or even a handheld remote in conjunction with your mobile device. That makes it so that it is very approachable. All right, everybody knows how to walk up to a light switch and, and push a button, right? That way it makes it approachable. Again, everybody in the family can, can use it. And hopefully that minimizes the overwhelm while still giving the benefits of, of that technology. Amazing. Well, we only have a few more minutes. So I wanted to bring out the crystal balls and see um, if Brad and JC, you have any thoughts about where smart home technology is going? Where do you think we'll be in five or 10 years? It's hard to say, of course, but JC, why don't you start off? Yeah, I, I think there's there's three kind of avenues of, of what we're seeing happening. One, it's um, uh, pr presence aware, individual aware, smart home capability, you know, through, um, let's just say wearables or your, your smart watch. Um, it knows so much about you. Your phone knows so much about you. The whole idea that the home reacts to the um, individual will get will get better and better in terms of the real use cases for that. Um, um, and it's all tech that works today, but there 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 are certain elements that kind of um, are confusing. But I think that that will, you know, the home responds to who's there essentially. Just think about it like that, and it's done through a wearable or device that you have where you're not actually touching the buttons. I also think uh, a voice is continuing to get better, and um, you know, I think that the there's there's certain um, populations that. Uh, you can really use voice effectively in the home where you don't have to reach for the phone or even touch a button or a remote. Um, and that's, that's uh, 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 um, you know, I think a really um, key element. And then, you know, I think that there'll be a, a lot more work happening around. Um, we're doing a lot with networking through a partnership we've got with um, a tier one enterprise networking provider called Juniper. Um, Cisco is doing the similar type of things, but the AI capability of that learning that's in the house about the connected devices that are on, and it's actually tuning the home based on use. And, you know, we started working on this pre-COVID explosion of work and school from home that continues. And now the, the ability for the, the, the network to be um, self-learning what is happening in modifying bandwidth based on use. You know, you got folks doing these things at home now and you have other activities and you have this explosion of the need for that network bandwidth and that intelligent network doing that for you um, is gonna be more and more popular. Thank you. Brad, what are your thoughts? I, so uh, one of the things that I, in my home, and I speak with many customers too, that I love uh, the most is lighting control. Um, and I think it's one of those underutilized, underappreciated things until you live with it, and then you'll never live without it. Uh, but I think one of the really exciting trends that's happening there is um, color tunable lighting. Um, and with AI and uh, with technologies um, that really help understand what time of day it is, what are you working on, who's home, where are you in the home, you can adjust the color temperatures of your lighting, um, and it contributes to your health. Uh, and well-being, right? If you're being, if you're trying to work um, and be focused and be productive, you know, color temperature and more blue light really helps you focus on the task task at hand. If you're getting ready for bed and you want to begin winding down as early as say 6 p.m., you want to begin winding 
opening down, you know, taking the blue out um, and adjusting the color temperature to a more warm hue helps you wind down. And so I think that the availability of new lighting fixtures um, and, and the uh, AI and intelligence to map to the time of day and, and your activity schedule uh, will contribute, will continue to bring some of these enhancements into the home uh, so that you can get some of the benefit, the health benefits um, of this technology as well. So that that's a trend I'm really excited about. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate you all being here today. Thank you so much, India, Brad, and JC. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Please join us again on Monday when Barron's Senior Managing Editor, Lauren R. Rublin, and Deputy Editor, Ben Levinson, discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thank you again for listening and take care.